Welcome to the Billingshurst Family Church Podcast. For more information or to support our work in Billingshurst and the surrounding areas, please visit billingshurstfamily.church. Good morning. If, if you go to the very middle of the Old Testament, you'll come to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a Jew. He was an exile in Babylon. And one day, his brother Hananiah and some other guys came back from Jerusalem. And he said to them, how are things in the, in the city? And they said, oh, they're terrible, mate. They said, the walls are crumbling, the gates are hanging off, the towers are leaning. It's a shambles. Now, Nehemiah was cut to the heart, and he went home, and he wept, and he fasted for days, and he confessed his sins and those of his forefathers. Now, uh, Nehemiah was also cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, and he was obviously looking dead glum as he went around his duties, probably had a face on like Alistair Campbell. And, he, uh, and the king said to him, well, what's the props, Nehemiah? Nehemiah opened his heart to him and told him all about Jerusalem and how it really was hurting him. And amazingly, instead of the king telling him to get his act together and get on with it, he was very sympathetic, so much so that um, Nehemiah asked if he could go and repair the walls and get it sorted out. And the king said yes. He gave him passports to go trans-Euphrates, and he made him the governor of Judah. Well, that's promotion for you, isn't it? Cupbearer one day and governor of Judah the next. So he set off with some cavalry, long journey, arrives in Jerusalem, rests for three days, and then secretly he goes out with just a few guys and has a look at these walls. And um, then he summons all the officials and the priests, and he says, it's not good enough, this has got to be sorted. And they say, yes, yes. So they start building the walls. Uh, And then you've got this chapter 3, an amazing chapter of all the people who did various things. This family did that, and the priest did the sheep gate, and somebody else did this, and somebody else did that part of the wall. And it was all going well, but every good story has its baddies, and we've got three. We've got Sam Ballot who is a Horonite, we've got Tabar, who is an Ammonite, and we've got Gemesh, who is the Arab. And we know that Sambalat was the governor of Samaria, and Samaria, of course, is close to Judah, and he obviously didn't want to have a strong fortified town sitting next to uh, his territory, and so he was stirring up all these people and opposing the Israelites who were rebuilding the walls. So it ends up with half of the Israelites building the walls and half of them standing guard with swords, keeping all these horrible people away. After 52 days, the walls were completed and the people rested, and then they were all all gathered together, and Ezra read the law, the law of Moses, to them. And after he'd done this, the people confessed their sins at length, a huge long prayer, Uh, of their sins and their forefathers' sins. And then they made a declaration, a written one, signed by Nehemiah as the governor, some other people on behalf of the officials, some other people on behalf of the Levites, and some other people on behalf of the people. And they say they will honor God, worship him, and part of that worship will be to maintain the walls of Jerusalem. Um, Now, after that, there are just a few little incidents. He, uh, Nehemiah finds some Jews have been overcharging other Jews, 
So he hauls them up and they say, yes, sorry, we've done wrong, we'll repay the money and we'll charge the right rate of interest. And then it sort of rather trickles out with a lot of prayers to God, mainly Nehemiah saying, look what I've done, Lord, and I've been a good boy. And the last words are, remember me with favor, O Lord. O God, actually. Um, so what did I glean out of this story? Well, um, I think a sense of my first word, metanoia. Jane, where's my lovely assistant? Meant to be. Metanoia means spiritual awakening. There we are. Um, and the way certain people are just cut to the heart and really motivated in an extraordinary way. Now, metanoia does two things. Um, and I want to illustrate those by two examples in the New Testament. They both involve my namesake, Peter. Um, he's somebody, a character in the Bible I can really emote to, basically because I share most of his worst character traits. But not everybody's perfect, are they? So uh, anyway, the first one is from Luke. And um, Peter has been fishing all night. He's caught absolutely nothing. And he come, he's pulling into the shore. And Jesus comes up to him and said, Peter, let's let me come board. I want you to just go off a few yards, and I want to use your boat as a pulpit to speak to the people who are lined up on the shore. So Peter acquiesces in this. Jesus gets on board, speaks to the people, and then he turns to, to Peter, and he said, uh, how'd the fishing go? Diddly squat. He said, absolutely nothing. So Jesus said, well, go off into the deep water, and put the net over on the right-hand side of the boat. Now, I want you to picture this situation. Here's Peter. We know he's a bit hot-headed and impetuous. Um, he's dog-tired. He's been out fishing all night long. And he's fed up because he hasn't caught any fish. And he's standing there with Jesus. And he's saying to himself, right, now let's get this right. I'm the fisherman. You're the carpenter. It's... Uh, we fish by night, and it's now broad daylight, and you want me to go out there, and I put my nets down, which are quite a lot of work, over on the right-hand side of the boat. And although the gospel doesn't record it, I'm sure it's probably between clenched teeth that, Jesus, that Peter says to Jesus, because it's you, Jesus, we'll do it. So anyway, they go out, put the nets out, and suddenly they're engulfed with fish, and the weight of the net is pulling the boat over, and it's in danger of being swamped. So he calls to these other people, to other fishermen, and tell them, come on, help us. And they come over, and there's fish everywhere. Now, what is Peter's reaction to this? Good on you, Jesus. We'll take you fishing more often. <laughs> no. Away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Metanoia strikes, and in that moment, Peter recognizes the holiness of Jesus and his own sinful nature. And that's what metanoia does. My other example is taken from Acts. And it's the day of Pentecost, so named because it's 50 days after the Passover. And it's a great Jewish feast, and Jews have come from all the nations to assemble for this feast in Jerusalem. 
And uh, they all speak various different languages and a bit of a mishmash. And as you know, the Holy Spirit descends on the disciples in the house in which they were. And they come out of the house and they're all speaking in tongues. And everyone hears them declaiming in their own language. And they're amazed. And then some wags say, oh, it's because they're drunk. And Peter gets up and he says, fellow Israelites, these men are not drunk. And then in a powerful speech, he tells them everything that's happened about Jesus. And at the end he says, and you have crucified the Lord of life. And it says the people were cut to the heart. And they said, brothers, what can we do to be saved? And Peter responds, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. And that, Jane, is my second word. Now, um, there is no metanoia without repentance. Ergo, there is no Christian conversion without repentance. Now, I hope that doesn't come as a surprise to anybody here, but if it does, I would urge you to seek to somebody who you trust in the church about it. I remember, it's over 40 years ago when I became a Christian, but I had a deep conviction of sin. Broken relationships, things I'd said, things I'd done. And my attitude to God, he'd been like the genie in the lamp. You know, you rub the lamp. What is your wish, O master? I only prayed to God when I wanted something. The honor and the glory due to his name didn't come into it at all. And we, and we need to understand something about repentance. Now, a lot of churches start their services with a thing called a general confession. And it's a very good place to start. And it just so happens I've got one in my pocket. I think it's inspired, really inspired. See what you... Right. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And there is no health in us. Too true. There's no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us miserable offenders. Spare thou those, O God, who confess their faults. Restore thou those who are penitent according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. Now, you're probably all saying, some of you, if not all of you, why is he banging on about repentance? Jane, can we have my picture, please? This is a picture which is probably familiar to a lot of you. It's called The Light of the World. It's by Holman Hunt. He was a pre-Raphaelite painter, lived from 1853 to 1910. And it's inspired by a passage in uh, Revelation in the letter to the Laodiceans. 
here I am, I stand at the door and knock. And anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. And eating in biblical times was a sign of great relationship and friendship. And Holman, and this, you can't see much of it, but this is a cottage door. And the cottage represents your heart. And Holman Hunt also said, you'll see there is no handle on the outside of the door. The handle is on the inside of the door. Only you can open the door of your heart. Only you. And repentance is the handle in the door of your heart. And what happens when you open the door of your heart? Next word, please, Jane. Grace, the grace of God comes flowing in to heal and restore that relationship that's broken by sin. And what does grace bring with it? My last word, life everlasting life, and as Jesus is quoted in John 10.10, life to the full. Now this series of sermons, talks, uh, is predicated on how does these prefigure Jesus. We see little glimpses of metanoia in Nehemiah. But the big, the greatest metanoia comes with the life and death of Jesus Christ. What was once a preserve of the Jews, a relationship with God, now becomes available to every nation and to every people, to all people. And I can say with the utmost confidence, total certainty, that the grace of God in the whole of human history, in history past, history present, history future, will never be more greatly displayed or given than when the Father let his Son, Jesus Christ, die on that cross for you and for me. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you.